Hey guys, we got lots to talk about, but namely, what is going on with the shifty shift of the narrative recently? I don't know if you guys have picked up on this, but I am noticing a little bit of shift of narrative back to what always has made sense to me. All of a sudden, the mainstream media is saying things that six months ago you'd get kicked off of Twitter for. So let's talk about it. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around, because we're going to laugh, and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. Hey guys, okay, as always, so much to talk about, so much going on, hard to choose a topic, but before I dive into the meat and potatoes of what I want to speculate on with y'all today, I wanted to say that first of all, today in Congress, we were talking to the FBI, our dear FBI, about If there were or were not FBI informants present January 5th, 6th, 7th, anytime around in D.C., uh, to which this particular representative for the FBI refused to answer, said, I cannot answer that question. Specifically, Ted Cruz, not my favorite man. Ted Cruz asked, uh, who is Ray Ebbs? I cannot answer that question. Was he present? I cannot answer that question. Is he an informant? I cannot answer this question. Blah, blah, blah. So they answered nothing and looks it looked very, very suspicious. Suspicious, not suspicious. What word is that? It's not one. So that's very interesting as we just talked about that on our last podcast. So make sure you catch that little sound bite. Also, we have so much going on with Fauci, and he's in front of Congress again, and him and Rand Paul, dear favorite one of mine, Rand Paul, just the man that cares so little about um, playing the game. He's always going to shout out the obvious. So appreciate that about him. Um, I still think he plays a little too many political games, but he's, he's one of the best. He's one of the best that we got, and he is on Fauci, and I so appreciate that, and Fauci cannot answer his questions ever when he's adhering. So much has come out with Fauci's emails, and I think that has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about today, so I'm going to circle back. I'm going to circle that, circle back, Jen Psaki, circle back to that one, and the other thing that I wanted to just put back in the forefront is there was a lot of conversation happening today in regards to inflation and specifically um, Jerome Powell, the head of the Federal Reserve, which I hope everybody knows by now, especially if you've been listening to my podcast, that the Federal Reserve is not federal. It is a privately held company bank. It is not federal. That's a tricky word there. But Jerome Powell, the head of the uh, Federal Reserve, is talking more more urgently about inflation. This is something my husband has been keeping his eye on for, gosh, the past year and some change, but has really been warning me heavily, and we've been doing a lot of pivots in in connection to inflation, the potential collapse of the dollar, certainly the weakening of the dollar. So please be paying attention to that. Please be watching that. Please be hedging your bets in whatever ways you can, because I really do 
he said to me last night that he thinks this is going to be the new conversation. There's no way that this is not going to overwhelm the narrative um, in terms of take over for COVID, 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 right? That's the main topic of conversation is always COVID right now, but um, potentially inflation and the crisis that we're facing with the collapse of our dollar, hyperinflation, the collapse of the stock market. This is all going to be, you know, the, the Federal Reserve is currently tapering. What that means is they're they're no longer printing the same amount of dollars every day that they have been for, gosh, just an outrageous amount of years. They are tapering how many dollars they're printing and just flooding the market with. Well, good. That's a nice step. But what we really, really need to do is raise interest rates, which I know that obviously that helps nobody. It's really bad. It'll it'll crash the real estate market, which is my husband's profession. So I'm not rooting for that, but I would certainly rather weather a 10-year crash and correction than a lifelong collapse of the dollar, which in turn would be a collapse of our entire economy and the global economy. I mean, the, the ramifications of something like that, if we do not take action, and in the last day or so, particularly today and yesterday, we have seen Jerome Powell be a little bit more vocal, certainly the people that follow the economy and if inflation have been putting out a lot more uh, warnings and we're just really looking at some potentially huge jumps in in inflation, even though we've seen just outrageously huge huge jumps, and I'm sure you're feeling it. If especially if you are on a salary or or a you know fixed income, it's most definitely um, r- pretty dramatic in terms of your buyability. I just had a meeting yesterday with my company, and and you know we're looking at what the costs have just been astronomical for raw material, for packaging, shipping, all of that is going through the roof and we're having to navigate what to do and how to adjust prices and all of that good stuff. It's happening across the market. Nobody is missing it, but that's another huge thing. And I've already talked about it too much, but that I want I wanted to touch on that because that's a big deal. And I'm sure I'm going to do another episode here coming up with, um, with that stuff in mind. But today, circling back to Fauci, And what we're learning with Project Veritas just came out with um, some pretty, some new damning evidence that basically shows that Fauci absolutely lied in front of Congress, which you guys, it's so hard because Fauci is your classic bureaucrat, which a bureaucrat, you want, you might want, you might use the term deep state or, um, unelected official, right? Like he is somebody that has been in his position, no matter who the president has been for a long time. He's had the authority and the power that he has today for a long time. Nobody elected him. Nobody elected him. He's accountable to zero constituents. He's not up for re-election at any point. He is the most high, highly paid government official that we have. And he has single-handedly taken over every element of our lives, every element of our economy. Like, you just cannot have no accountability, right? And here we now have this person being very, very much exposed more than one time now as having lied in front of Congress, giving dishonest testimony, misleading um, uh 
subcommittees and misleading Congress and misleading journalists and slandering his opposition, slandering anyone that has a narrative that wants to put forth a narrative that he dislikes, advocating for censorship, advocating for mask mandates, advocating for vaccine mandates, all across the board, this man is the mouth. Like he, what he says, people react to and do. And he was not elected, and he is accountable to no one. And it, it, we just cannot say this enough. Like, who is this person? What is his background? I'm, you know, two years ago, no one even knew he who he was, including me. So for this man to have, who's been around for a long time, and nobody knows how he even got there. Like, how have you, how are you still there and how are you not able to be fired? Like, how do you not have a circuit, a, a certain standard that you have to live up to? It's just absurd. So Project Veritas has revealed again that he has lied in front of Congress. He absolutely was told by the initial scientist that he was um, kind of first putting his heads together, you know, putting heads together with at the beginning of this pandemic. And he was told it is highly unlikely that this is of natural origin, highly unlikely. And yet you will be kicked off Facebook. You will be kicked off Twitter if you even suggest that this came from a lab, right? I mean, now we're into a place where I hope that's more of a normal thing to think or say, but I'm not on social media, so I don't even know what they're kicking you off for these days. But it was absolutely a how dare you, you are a, a crazy conspiracy, conspiracy theorist if you even suggested that this could have come gain a function from the lab. And the reason why this is so important, the origins of this thing are so important because if we create it, we know more about it than we say we do. If we created it, then I guess that makes sense why we had a vaccine so dang quick, doesn't it, right? If we created it, what was the intent? Is it, was it, could it be a biological weapon? Is it something that was leaked on accident? Is it something that was leaked on purpose? Was this an act of war from the Chinese government, the the communist party? These are all important questions if we now are looking at a different origin theory. And Fauci deliberately led us away at every turn from that narrative. So this is all very important. And I say all this to say our narrative has been created primarily from this man. And of course, our dear friend, Rochelle Walensky over at the CDC. These two people have had huge, huge influence over our response to this pandemic now across two presidencies, right? So it doesn't really matter. And this is what's so funny is we're gonna elect Biden and he's going to change the pandemic and he's gonna have a different approach. You guys, first of all, he's a, a politician and he lied. He didn't have a plan, there is no plan. It was always in Fauci's hands. It's always been the same plan and the plan has equated to more people have now died from the coronavirus under Biden than died under Trump and we now have a vaccine, which is supposed supposedly safe and effective. So these are really important things to look at, okay? But all this to say, what I wanted to kind of discuss, and I honestly can only speculate, I do not know why this is happening, but there seems to be a little bit of a shift in the narrative from some mainstream sources. Now, my sister just reminded me today that, you know, CNN and Facebook and every, everybody's still spouting off that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated and blah, 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 which again, if you just reason this out, guys, if we just follow reason, how, how would we have 
hospitals being overwhelmed, how would we have the highest record-breaking cases per day right now today, which is true. There's a lot of places that are reporting record-breaking cases, blah, blah, blah. How would that be happening if the vaccine is working? If, if the vaccine is working, right? We wouldn't be having hospitalizations. If, if 75% of America or 64% or 78% or whatever, all these different, I don't know how many percent of America is vaccinated, but they brag about it a lot and give a lot of you know statistics that tons of people are vaccinated. Great, good, cool. Well, if they're safe and effective, namely effective, then we shouldn't be seeing, there's not enough unvaccinated people to overwhelm the hospital, okay? That's just logicking this bad boy out. If we're having more cases, if we're breaking records today of case counts, then obviously that's an indication of massive amounts of breakthrough, you know, of vaccinated individuals that are having breakthrough cases. Otherwise, it wouldn't, we wouldn't have enough people that are unvaccinated. If it's only the unvaccinated that are getting hospitalized, if it's only the unvaccinated that are getting COVID, or primarily even, if we want to go that far with the narrative, then we would not We would have lower numbers. Like, this is simple math. This is simple math. So there is not, like, the, the data is not supporting the claims, right? So we're having a little bit of a shift. Today, for example, I read in AP, Associated Press, which is a pretty well-left-leaning publication, that most hospital. this is from the article I read just 20 minutes ago, most hospitalizations were already hospitalized for some other reason, and yet they're tested when they come in to the hospital, and they are surprised to discover they have COVID, okay? So this is this is important information, because this would tell us that people are not being hospitalized, I can't speak tonight, people are not being hospitalized for COVID, they're being hospitalized for some other reason, and yet they're being classified as a COVID hospitalization. So this is skewing the numbers, right? And that's an AP, you know, data point. So, I mean, okay, gosh, a couple of weeks ago, the FDA came out with a statement about masks not working. Okay, that's really interesting because a lot of us have been saying that for a long time, that these cloth masks are garbage pants and CDC has been holding firm to it. I know here in Nashville, when the CDC came back out earlier this summer, and or summer of 2021, I guess we're in a whole different year now, that vaccinated needed to put their masks back on, you know, Tennessee basically, and Nashville even, very liberal city, decided, no, we're not going back there. We're not doing masks. So there's no, there's no mask. Like, I don't even see signs for masks anywhere here in Tennessee, which I'm very grateful for. So it's interesting that now the FDA is kind of coming back in line with that being the truth. And they did a recommendation of N95 masks, which... Okay, that's, I hope to God that we're not moving in that direction where N95 masks are going to be required because then we really can't get oxygen and that's going to be a whole nother thing. Rochelle Walensky just came out this week from the CDC and said, you can find this soundbite, 75% of deaths from COVID had an average of four comorbidities. Okay, that is very interesting. 75% of the deaths had an average of four comorbidities. Goodness gracious, four comorbidities, that's quite a lot. That's an average, which means several, a lot, half, a, you know, a third at least had more than four comorbidities. Well, okay, that makes sense. Now we know which population is mostly effective. Why on earth are we vaccinating children 
children do not typically have four on average comorbidities, not even close, right? So why on earth would there be a push? This is, again, a breach in the narrative here, but it's interesting that the CDC would even come out and say that. I'm not sure why they're coming into alignment with things. That statement that she made this week would have gotten you kicked off of Twitter six months ago. Like, you can't say that people died with COVID, not from COVID, or that people had, they were already sick of something else. You couldn't, you couldn't say that. That would be misinformation. That would create vaccine hesitancy. That would be, you know, you're, you're a conspiracy theorist, all the things. And now that's something that she says, like that's in an interview. Yep. She's willing to say that. That's very interesting to me. I also read an article that says Omicron is less severe than the seasonal flu. That was yesterday. I read this article. Oh my gosh, that's great. That is great news, right? I'm so surprised that that is coming from a mainstream source. Like, we seem to be backpedaling. Just a month ago, we were, Omicron was the scariest thing ever, you know, coming out of Thanksgiving. Granted, I know we didn't know much about it then. But even right away in December, coming out of South Africa, which is where Omicron came from, The doctors were all saying, we are not seeing that this is more severe. We're seeing this is less severe, less severe, less severe right away. Actually, the doctor that announced that that found the Omicron variant issued an open letter saying, I have no idea why the world is responding to to my revelation of this Omicron variant the way that they're responding. I never dreamed that the U.S. would not allow travel to South Africa based on what I found, because what I'm finding is this is very mild cold-like symptoms. So again, I'm grateful that the narrative seems to be shifting to Omicron's not that bad. Uh, Just yesterday, we found out that NCAA is recognizing natural immunity. Are you kidding me? If you have natural immunity and you can prove that you've had COVID, then that's as good as a vaccine passport, according to the NCAA. Granted, it's not perfect and it's a limited time frame and all these things, but that was a conspiracy theory. Talking about natural immunity was not allowed. You would be kicked off. You would be censored. Why on earth are we switching our narrative here? CDC has now changed the quarantine time from 10 days, which is probably accurate. I had COVID. I I tested positive for COVID for 10 days. I, I wouldn't have been able. I was fully willing and did quarantine for 10 days. Now they say five days and then you can put the mask on that we just said doesn't work, and you can go back to work. Now, if you are unvaccinated, you are fired. But if you are vaccinated and still testing positive for COVID, you are allowed to work. That one hurts my heart. I don't even, I can't, I just feel like we're wandering off the cliff of just straight up evil. You can't work if you're healthy and unvaccinated, but you can work if you're vaccinated and sick. You're allowed to have the actual disease and come back to work after five days of quarantine. I mean, I get it. You're short staffed because you fired everybody. So, I mean, I guess that's what we're working with. Also, an article came out this week that says T cells from the common cold us, if you've ever had the common cold in your life, which means if you're older than two years old, (laughs) you've probably had the common cold, which is a coronavirus, gives you T-cell protection against Omicron because Omicron is a common cold-like illness. 
I just was in the doctor on Monday and spoke with my doctor and she said that we are seeing Omicron. It is, it is not going into the lungs at all. It's not, it's not going into the respiratory system in the same way that the other forms of coronavirus has, has done. That's great news. She says it just stays in your head. You get congestion. It's a snotty nose. It's a little bit of a sore throat, some post-nasal drip. It's a cold. Great news. But now we're seeing and I'm reading that T-cells from a common cold will actually give you protection against Omicron that we might already have natural protection against Omicron. This is so interesting. I also read an article talking about how if you're vaccinated, and again, this is getting a little bit more fringe, this is not so mainstream, but if you are vaccinated, you are much more likely to get Omicron for whatever reason, which again is not a big deal because Omicron is not a big deal. So it doesn't really matter. It's just an interesting little factoid. And all of this equates to why are we pushing this vaccine mandate still? What on earth are we doing? Why does everybody have to be vaccinated? Why are you vilified if you're not vaccinated? I mean, all of the information points towards vaccination is an injectable therapeutic, I guess, would be the best word. It's an injectable, like, hope treatment, if you will. It is not a vaccine. It's, I mean, I know that they have changed the definition of vaccine so that the COVID vaccine now fits in their definition, which is really wild that you can just change a definition of a word. But it isn't, you know, up until COVID, vaccines prevented infection and prevented transmission. Of course, this does neither of those things. So what is it? It is a therapy, ideally, to help you to not get sick, right? Or I should say not to not get infected, but not to get severely ill, right? Well, I also had COVID as an unvaccinated person, and I did not get severely ill, nor did my husband, nor did most of the people I know who have had COVID. Yes, early on in 2020, I have had, I know people who did die of COVID. I'm not saying that it's not a severe illness. I'm not trying to downplay it, but I'm saying up until COVID medical procedure and protocol always allowed for and encouraged and searched for early treatment opportunities. This is the first time in the history of the planet earth that that has been not sought after, censored against, banned. There is still two years into this. We have not zero protocol for early treatment. The plan is still test a thousand million billion people every day. And if they have COVID, send them home to sit at their house. No plan, no medication, not a single thing. Now, loads of doctors, about 500, have come forth with all kinds of ideas and protocols, one of which I'm and my husband have gone through. I know tons of people who have taken hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, monoclonal antibodies. There are options, but it is dang hard to get ivermectin specifically. Hydroxychloroquine also very challenging, but not quite as much so as ivermectin. I've never seen such, and I, I'm just speaking about like what I'm now reading from other doctors, just this absolute absolutely unfounded attack on anything that could prevent serious illness. Now, the only therapeutic they're going to allow is the vaccine. Of course, we know if you follow the money or if you follow the reasoning, you can't have emergency youth authorization for a drug if there are other already FDA-approved drugs that treat said thing, okay? So that's an obvious one as to why they're suppressing any and, and just not just suppressing, but slandering 
medications like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, which is just hilarious if you know what those drugs are and what they've done and how prized they've been, how safe they are. Ivermectin, for example, is safer than Tylenol, okay, in terms of its adverse events and deaths related to it over like all of the data. I mean, it's just like, I didn't even think Tylenol was unsafe. I wouldn't hesitate to give Tylenol to myself or my kids. Well, actually now I do hesitate. I don't give it to myself or my kids based on what I now know about Tylenol. But that's neither here nor there. It's hilarious that we would accept that, never even think twice about Tylenol and don't even understand or realize that ivermectin has and always will be safer than even Tylenol. And yet most of us now think it's some horse drug that's like very dangerous to take. And yet those same people that think it's a horse drug and dangerous to take will sign up for one, two, three, how no, how, who knows how many jabs of an absolute, you wouldn't even be able to tell me what's in it. I bet you. We don't know what's in it. It's untested and all kinds of adverse events, more adverse events, more deaths. I've said this before. It's only getting more and more absurd. More deaths from this one vaccine than all of the vaccines given over the last 30 years put together, okay? By like so many counts, so many times. I mean, it's really, really a dramatic situation when you look at the data and the adverse events, well over a million adverse events, many, many of them permanent disabilities, right? This is not just like an adverse event, like soreness in the arm. We're talking about really dramatic adverse events, okay? So why on earth is that still the narrative when they seem to be shifting the narrative over here and yet still driving full force with the vaccine mandate? I don't know. I'm not presenting. I'm speculating. I don't know. I, I, I think they're losing control of the narrative. I think it's really interesting. I don't know if you guys saw the data coming out of uh, the third quarter of 2021, the third and fourth quarter of 2021, they really started to see this shift in where people are getting their information, which I think is a great thing. And I really do, um, you know, give all the credit or so much of the credit to Joe Rogan for this, which I'm not a huge Joe Rogan fan. I actually had never, ever listened to a Joe Rogan podcast until Peter McCullough was on his show. And, um, and of course, then Robert Malone, I listened to both of those podcasts from the Joe Rogan experience. But this is so interesting because apparently what happened with Joe Rogan is when he got COVID and he just kind of told everybody what he did and how it was such an easy illness for him. He got over it really quickly, had no issues, you know, took ivermectin. And then there was this massive backlash against him. Apparently, he was pushed on from Spotify and from all these different, you know, uh, outlets that were like, you better shut your mouth right now or we're taking you off the air. And in true Joe Rogan fashion, he was like, now I'm getting every single doctor that is willing to talk about what is actually happening with this thing on my show. And this was between basically September and now. So he has had tons of really important guests on his show talking about the mass cover-up and the way that, uh, when I say mass cover-up, of the adverse events, that you're not even allowed to talk about that. Uh, cover, cover up and censorship of doctors that are, are um, recognizing and, and willing to discuss and talk about alternative treatments or issues that their own patients are having with this vaccination. So because he's had so many of these guests on, the information has gotten out there so much more than it would have ever before. And it was because they tried to censor him and he already had such a huge following that it didn't work. It actually backfired. So Interestingly enough, we see that Joe Rogan has in Q, Q3 and 4 of 2021, 
about 11 million listens per episode. You guys, he has a three hour long podcast. Every one of his episodes is three hours long if you've never listened to him. 11 million listeners per episode. To give you further context, the Peter McCullough episode, I believe, I can't remember which one's which. One of, one of, it was either Peter McCullough or Robert Malone. One of those episodes reached 50 million downloads and the other reached 60 million downloads. I can't remember which one got the most, but that is an unreal amount of, of reach. That is an unreal amount of information that got out in the last quarter that is shifting what people understand about what COVID was all about and what these vaccines are all about. Both Peter McCullough and Robert Malone are vaccinated doctors. So they actually do, and of course, Robert Malone being the creator of mRNA technology, these are people with a lot of standing uh, Peter McCullough is a cardiologist. He's understanding exactly what the spike protein is doing to the heart and, you know, why we're having so many athletes that are dropping dead and, you know, playing soccer and football. Um, he explains some of that and it's very reasonable. And he's a cardiologist. He understands it. This is huge reach. And just to give you some perspective, okay, Joe Rogan, an average of 11 million per episode listeners. Tucker Carlson is next with 3.24 million per, per episode of his show. Okay. I used to hate Tucker. I absolutely love Tucker. He's so brilliant. Now I totally understand he pushes buttons on purpose, which so do I sometimes. <laughs> and he's funny and he's very, very smart and he's willing to push back. Like he had Ted Cruz on there and he really pushed back on Ted Cruz and he's, you know, going along with the whole people from January 6th were domestic terrorists. Tucker Carlson was the first one to, to have him on his show and really push back on him, which I appreciate that sort of stuff. Fox primetime, I hate. 2.37 million per episode. Rachel Maddow, the very first left-leaning person on the list. She's the most watched. She's at 2.20 million. Joe Rogan, 11 million per episode. Rachel Maddow, mainstream media, face of everyone knows her face, right? 2.2 million. And then CNN primetime is actually under a million. It's 0.82 uh, million per episode. So the, that there is a panic. I This is all I can assume is they are losing track of the narrative. People are getting information no matter how much they try to censor it, no matter how much they try to slander the doctors that are saying, you know, whatever that they don't want any doctors to be saying, anyone that's going against it. And now we're seeing this vaccine mandate at the seat of the Supreme Court. And again, I told you guys last time, pray over that. We still need to be praying over that. But it seems, what I'm reading, it seems that most people think they're going to disband the OSHA mandate. They're going to put a stay on it, I should say which would say that OSHA can't go forward with the rule that says if you have 100 or more employees, you have to, everybody has to be vaccinated. It would seem, please Jesus, that they're going to put a stay on that, that that will not go forward. Please Jesus. There's other elements of the vaccine mandate that, that people feel likely will go forward. I'm hoping for just it all to go away. That would be so great. While I'm on that little topic about the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor, oh my gosh, I just cannot even begin to understand how this person is one of our nine Supreme Court justices, is able to spout off absolute lies as a Supreme Court justice in a vaccine hearing. Like they're talking about, you know, hearing arguments for and against this mandate. And she just straight lies in very, like, these are not even things that are hard to discover or find out. For example, 
she said, a hundred, there are about a hundred thousand pediatric hospitalizations due to COVID right now. A hundred thousand pediatric hospitalizations. She's trying to advocate for school um, vaccine requirements. The actual number is somewhere between 3,400 and 5,000. Okay, that is a very heavy roundup. That is not even close, not even sort of kind of. And I actually read that there are only 81,000 critical care beds altogether in the country. So there couldn't be 100,000 pediatric hospitalizations when there's only 81,000, I'm sorry, critical care beds in the country. That is a wildly inaccurate, you know, statement. So either she didn't know, was misinformed, which you cannot afford to be a Supreme Court justice and be misinformed on that issue. Like you either should know and you're going to be held to the standard of knowing, or you do know and you're purposely misleading. Both are unacceptable when you are one of nine Supreme Court justices. She also said that the jab prevents transmission. That is a quote from our dear Supreme Court justice. The CDC would disagree with that. The, the jab does not prevent transmission, nor has it ever, but only recently in the last, I would say six months, I feel like maybe it's only four months. The CDC has been very vocal about that. It does not prevent transmission. She also said Omicron is as deadly as Delta. That has net, we, that is just not even a headline. That's not even a thing that has never been the case. We had fears. It is way more transmissible than Delta. She said it's as deadly as. That's very easily disproved. She said that vaccine mandates would prevent 100% of cases. I know several people right this very moment who are vaccinated and currently have COVID. That alone, just that's anecdotal information, but we know the breakthrough cases are extreme. We know that Omicron, the, your your natural immunity, this is hard to say, guys, it's the reality, but it's not a big deal because Omicron's not a big deal. Your natural immunity nor your vaccine immunity does any good against Omicron, period, and full stop. All the studies that are coming out say not, not natural immunity, not your vaccine immunity are going to stop you from getting getting Omicron. We're all getting it. It's fine. You're going to be fine. You got a snotty nose. We're all going to live. If you've ever had a cold before, you're extra good to go. Okay. That's great news. And then she also said, lastly, that hospitals are overrun. Again, I don't even know where this is coming from. That would not follow any sort of logic if we have 75% of people that are vaccinated and the vaccine is supposed to prevent your hospitalization, why would hospitals be overrun? Is it because we fired everybody? Because I'll go with you there. We did fire a whole ton of medical professionals. So if that's why hospitals are overrun, sure. Let's let's just backtrack on that one because that was a dumb choice. But it's not because of the unvaccinated, nor is it that that's even a true statement. So just really wild that she came out and did all this stuff, right? really crazy that this is somebody who's going to judge on the future of our like a huge overreach potentially of government um to be able to make choices for our medical you know our medical choices for us so that we can be employed at our job right or so that we can go to school or go to college or play professional sports or or travel out of the country i mean like unreal overreach unreal it starts with this I always say this, and if you're like, I'm vaccinated, this is no big deal for me. Well, remember the poem, when they came for the Jews, there was no one left? You remember that bad boy? Yeah, if you don't stand up now 
it's going to be something that you don't want next time. And then you're going to be like, wait, I don't want that. I don't want the government to mandate that. Yeah, uh, huh? yes, yes. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the party. The bottom line, you guys, is this is not about health. This is not about our health. If it were about our health, we would see an extreme push and desire to find early treatment protocols. Have you ever been given a diagnosis that did not immediately in the very same conversation come with a treatment plan? If you are diagnosed with stage four cancer, that is terminal on every way you can think about it, generally speaking, right? But you also get a treatment plan in the same conversation because they don't just send you home and say, wait till you can't breathe and then come in. There's always a protocol for treatment. We would be just doing everything we possibly could to prevent. I mean, we now are seeing studies. These doctors are coming out and saying that half, if not 85%, Peter McCullough is willing to say 95% of the deaths we've experienced from COVID would have been prevented should we have been allowed to do early treatment protocols. That would be very straightforward and simple. Aspirin, ivermectin, Listerine, gurgling, iodine, nose wash. I mean, these are, these are things that are pretty straightforward that virologists have discovered are killing the, the virus, stopping the duplication of viral load, all of these things, right? I understand more about medicine than I ever desired to understand because I just read the stuff because I watch them talk because I learn. It's really fascinating to me. But this is not about health. If it were about health, we'd learn more about early treatment. If it were about health, then we wouldn't be mandating a jab that took 28 minutes to make. It usually takes 10 years to bring a vaccine, a traditional vaccine, one that we have a million of, right? Let alone a brand new technology that's literally never been tried on the human population. <laughs> like, I just can't even wrap my head around it, right? Like, my health conscious peers are the ones that are like, yeah, I think it's fine. Let's go. Let's get it. Okay, that's fine. Like, if you want to get it, that's fine. It's just a little inconsistent with who I know you to be. It's really just strange. And now also, again, this, this other shift in the narrative that there's a lot of friends that are vaccinated who have been on lockdown for the last two years, who haven't gone anywhere, who have been afraid to work, who have been afraid to see their friends, who won't go out and see their family at Christmas for two years now, no barbecues, nothing, no birthday parties, no weddings. Some of, the, some of these people I know that have just been absolutely unwilling to go out and live their life are now sick with COVID and they're confused. They don't know why. And they're, they're the weirdest thing, this is so strange to me, is they all are saying, thank God I got the vaccine. It's such a mild illness. Thank God I got the vaccine. Now, perhaps it is because of the vaccine that you're having a mild illness. I'll go with you on that. But I didn't have the vaccine and I had a very mild illness. And before there was ever a vaccine to have, you had a 99.98% survivability of this only less than 1% of people diagnosed with COVID were ever hospitalized for this. Okay, so, I mean, to me, anything short of being hospitalized is maybe you feel really bad, but it's a mild illness, guys. So it's interesting that we're, we're given the credit. I don't know if you guys have seen the meme, but it, it makes me laugh. Memes, I love memes. You know, if I got three polio jabs in one year and got polio, I'd be asking some questions, right? Like this is a meme going around right now. And I'm like, right, I'm right there with you. But instead it's, I got three jabs or even two jabs. Then I got the same illness and I'm grateful I got the jabs. It's like, well, now you, you have the risks of the illness and you have the risks of the jab and it doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm putting forth the, all of this 
open to a conversation. Would love to hear your thoughts. Would love to hear what you think is going on and why this narrative shifting. I can't figure it out. It doesn't make me happy. I mean, I'm gl- I'm grateful that the narrative is shifting more towards what has always made sense to me, but I also feel like, what's the motivation? What are you going to pull now? What's going to happen next? Uh, I don't like it because I'm very skeptical, as you probably have grabbed a hold of from me. But these are the things I'm thinking today, guys. These are the thoughts I'm having, and these are the things I'm noticing, and these are the things I'm wondering. So help me gain perspective, y'all. What is yours? Share it. Email me, wendycunningham at protonmail.com. I want to know. I want to hear your thoughts, whether you agree with me or not. I would love to have a discussion. Let's figure it out. Okay, a little postscript here. I literally just finished recording, got off, started to read some news, and USA Today today just issued a article saying that the CDC is going to switch cruise line guidance to be voluntary. Basically, cruise lines can decide whether or not they want to require vaccines for cruises going forward because it's super awkward when 100% of the staff and 100% of the guests have to be vaccinated and these dang cruise ships keep coming back with COVID outbreaks. It really makes it look bad on the vax, just saying. So another shift in the narrative, just wanted to jump on and share. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Father God, now, always, today, tomorrow, shine light in the darkness. Shine light in the darkness. Show us, tell us, expose it. Just reveal the evil, reveal the lies, pull the, sh- the scales from our eyes, Lord. Give us ears to hear. Let us understand. Let us seek wisdom, which comes from you and you alone. It doesn't come from our experience. It doesn't come from our age. It doesn't come from books. It doesn't come from watching the news. That's for sure. It comes from you, Lord. Help us to discern. Help us to understand. Help us to know what your will is in all of this crazy mess, Lord. In your son's name, we ask these things. Amen.